Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and cover power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree to shop and nail it. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's It means something. It means something. You know, that's my take on it. Like, what's yours? Protonic Riversall! That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed. It's a science thing. It's a science place. It's a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. Welcome once more to the one, the only Protonic Reversal. Holy moly. Have I got one for you. This is going to be a a good show. Episode 143. Mr. Mike Watt. Minutemen. Firehose. All the solo records. MSSV. The freaking Stooges. Are you kidding me? I have been trying to make this happen for literally years. So, I'm as excited as you are. We're just going to get right to it. So, let's hear a, let's hear a Minutemen song. Then we'll talk to Mike Watt. What? Yeah! All right. Needless to say, I'm stoked. Here we go. This monitor's is a ride with petition. Is your life worth a painting? Is this girl versus boy with different symbols? Being bored is power. Scout leader, not detained. This big scene, your risk change me hostage. Me, I'm fighting with my head. I'm not a big boy. I must look like a dork. Me, naked with textbook poems. Bout bout against the Nazis. The weird. Kind of sex symbol It's bitches that are big damn stuff If we heard more than shells We'd cuss more in our songs And cut down the guitar solos So dig this big crux Organizing the points, but for murder is wrong Ten years beyond the big sweat point Man, it was still there ever without you Coming back around, look We're coming together for just a second A peak, a guess At the wholeness, it's way too big At the wholeness, it's way too big Hey, Colin Hey, brother. <clears throat> so can you hear me okay? Is everything coming yeah. through? Okay, cool. Let me just do a quick... I do this all the time when I do my lot from Pedro show. I was going to say, I know you're you're certainly no uh, novice <laughs> to doing this kind of thing, so... 
Yeah, and it's Econo, and it's a lot easier than using a phone to record. You just have another pewter running the fucking Skype shit. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. It's interesting. So that's a good place to start. What do you think about, you know, using tech and things along those lines for, I don't know, for lack of a better term, kind of punk rock purposes like this? It kind of seems like there's a lot of tools to do that, right? Conan, come on. Go go back. Go back. Go back to Minutemen days. Go back. We Jammy Econo was not just the slogan. It was a way of life. How are we going to get to the gigs if we don't have the boat? <laughs> Need a little bit of tech. That's the way it's yielded. It's like with a butter knife. You can butter the toast or stab your buddy. <laughs> Good point. Make a big mess out of it too, right? It's a butter knife, so Yeah, I was gonna say that'd be a slow that'd be a slow way to go for sure. Sometimes that's how I feel like how politics yes. are. <laughs> right? But if you were gonna be that fucking vicious about it instead of just buttering toast. It's- same thing. We don't we uh, use tech. For example, this Skype thing here. Uh, Estonian software developers, but I think Microshite owns it now, yeah, right? Yeah, they bought them out, uh, like, I think, like, five years ago or something like that. It, as long as they don't jump on the line and tell us what to say, we don't hang up, right? So the, idea, the idea is we've got to preserve the autonomy, but somehow use uh, whatever, the T word, where we can yeah, and it's it's interesting to me, and we've it's kind of been a discussion topic on this show about how there's there's sort of like this idea that all this stuff brings us freedom, but it's sort of like freedom, but do what we say uh, by a lot of these corporations. But there's still ways to kind of get up and around for those that are willing to put in the effort. A lot of cool seems, stuff. It seems to me a lot of human stuff has this dangling duality aspect to it. It depends on the wielder. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, see, that's, and that's where the responsibility is, I think. Because it's hard, you know, many levels removed. How how much power do you have in that, right? But we kind of do where we ourselves are wielding this kind of stuff. How are we using this stuff? Okay, that's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. I thought for sure we'd all have our own websites. I don't know why we'd all like collect <laughs> gather like fucking herd at the fake look and yeah. the instagram and the shitter not not that i mean the way i look at the they're like telephone poles to put up flyers but to make a fucking you know what i'm saying those ethics develop with fanzines it, it's beyond just the, the the tech or whatever the the paper the the, the staples from kinko's the, the, uh, to me it's the same thing as having your own yep. website there's no middleman there's no gatekeeper you're unfiltered you you let your freak flag fly right and and i'm a i'm a big advocate of that myself i know you are of course the hoot page has been going for uh you know for for a long time it's a, an amazing one-stop resource for all things what i'm always kind of surprised that uh, I'm telling you, I, I, got this, I, I got these ideas, though, from the early days of the movement, uh, Flipside, mm-hmm. uh, Slash, these are, the, the fanzines were huge fabric, you know, especially in the U.S., the movement was pretty small, so the fanzine was incredible fabric to hook us together, especially different towns and shit. Yeah, and, you know, it's not that much different with something about the internet, right? Like, you can connect well, with people. I was talking about, what I was talking about was ethic, right? Oh, they, sure. they travel 
yeah, they, 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 it's ways of behaving, right? It's, they've traveled beyond the little, uh, acute thing in the moment, what kind of devices are being used. It's more of the ideas behind them. What, what are you trying to represent? What are you trying to do with your life? Right. And the idea of, you know, finding communities and sort of like-minded folks and artists and bands and stuff and using that as a communication tool uh, to connect. I mean, that's, it's kind well, of yeah. vital, right? <laughs> In some ways, there's some traditions. I would say like vaudeville, the idea of working towns. You know, there was a time when things weren't centralized. There, there was no uh, movies, television, or radio. So the, the farmers, they their little towns, they had to wait till the guys came and did the gigs. Right. They were, I mean, it was, again, more fabric to connect humans in a way that's not so fucking uh, fascist and, uh, you know, bo uh, boot on the throat kind of deals. Well, and you, there was a chance that if you didn't see that act, you might never see it again. It wasn't like you could just fire up the old YouTube and go check it out the next day if you didn't feel like going out, too. Yeah, so, so maybe there's some advantages about the bad new days. You can use a YouTube.com to see that. But on the other hand, there's something really vital about seeing something in the moment, huh? Absolutely. And, and I think that there's no replacing that. And yeah. uh, so I guess that's that's a good thing to go with on you because you've been there through through all of this kind of like, you know, like like they say that, uh, you know, it's water. Like, was it David Foster Wallace? <laughs> right. And yeah. uh, you've seen it like from the, from the jump for, as far as for the punk rock folks. And. How do yeah, you, how do you think that relationships changed? Has it changed? Like between well, artists? a lot of ways, the movement was kind of a our kind of I don't know age group actually finding out about shit that little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis was giving us in the fifties. Uh, I think the arena rock, would, because I, I know this from one hundred and twenty five months serving with the Stooges, there was a huge garage band scene in the sixties and a lot of local labels and stuff. But it got destroyed by arena rock. <laughs> and so in a way, our movement in the 70s, punk scene, was kind of waking up to those old things, reinventing stuff. Or somebody once told me, the only thing new is you finding out about it. <laughs> and that movement's even before that, right? Woody Guthrie. Uh, sure, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Walt Whitman. Uh, yeah, Dada, surrealism, uh, futurism, all these kind of weird uh, trips of expression, uh, a, a lot of these things uh, seem like links in a chain. And I don't mean chain as like uh, uh, anti-liberation, but th no, th no. That's a, it's a connection, I'm trying to say. It's a connected thread. It's a through line. And, yeah, I, and I'm there with it. you on that. And, and, it, and it's, well, so, and we were talking, we were talking about, I was talking about this with another guest. I, I honestly don't remember who at this point, but. Okay. Uh, there's uh, a lot of folks are getting into sort of like these sort of heavy drone bands, but it's like an experiential thing, right? Because you go to it, you know, it's loud, it's big, like you know, it takes like Being like uh, Sun O. Yeah, yeah, and it takes I was gonna say it takes like two minutes for a chord change, like whatever, like. But it's a thing that can't be replaced by going on the computer. You're going there in person and you're experiencing it. Like there's nothing that's gonna change. Like that's coming at you. Know you. I had a trippy experience like that in New York City. There was something called the, it was Lamont Young, right? The Dream House or the Dream. He's got this piece that's going like seven, eight, nine years. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 
And it was like, <laughs> he's got this idea of, you know, because temper, right, the way things are tuned, the way uh, notes are divided up, there's a lot of debate over this, especially with uh, more modern pioneer types in music. So he's got this big fat chords going with these synthesizers constantly for years. Right. And you go up there, it was it was August or something, so really sweaty, fifth or sixth floor, I hobbled up there and just laid on the deck in this big fat chord. So maybe there's a whole tradition of this kind of stuff. I think it might go back to the wind. Mm. Also ocean, because I live here, you know, by the water yeah, here. Yeah, tides. You know, the surf is always making this sound, right? The pounding. Yeah. And it like a big giant chord, especially when it gets thrown with the wind. So maybe that drone thing has always been with us. That's that's really interesting. And it's, yeah. I, I think uh, the dancing is kind of connected to the first instruments, which I think is the drum. Mm. I think our pounding on the ground was the first instrument. And also singing, or the voice. Right, because that's something that you know you don't need amplifiers to do that. You don't need, well, <laughs> you know, you don't need any of the rest of this stuff. Some kind of chants and mantras that are pretty droney. So, I, you know, like these Gyota monk guys with the throat singing. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there's a connect to that, even though it's yeah, kind of a Black Sabbath imagery and funny outfits and stuff. But maybe there's a, a real. A real uh, Something with some kind of integrity, a connect that goes way back with us that likes not so much change. We like this drone, this ambient. Yeah, and you know, maybe that's something that like is just like an integral part of, of the human experience and this is how it's manifesting for folks now that, you know, come up. Yeah, and it's kind of like the juxtapose against being all aware of every microsecond of every change of every little awareness moment awake. Maybe it's it's the opposite, the antithesis of that. So it's a good counterpoint. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that way. That's 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 actually a really cool way of looking at it. And you know that uh, that uh, art piece you mentioned, I think it's awesome too because it's sort of like you can like set your calendar appointment to remind you when the chord's going to change. You know, <laughs> go, check, yeah. go check it out. <laughs> right, right. Get a one week I mean, reminder. There's some songs. <laughs> there's some songs. I don't know, Harry Nielsen. Oh yeah, of course. He had a tune called The Lime and the Coconut. Yep. It's one, it's C7. The whole fucking song's one part. I guess it is, huh? I never thought about it. Yeah, even Guess Who, American Woman, it's one fucking part. They play it a couple times different, but it's one part. Sometimes you don't need change. I think that's the whole idea of the prayer, the mantra. Mm. Yeah, folks, and a lot, on that. a lot of nature seems to be in these big ass loops, these big rhythms that take a long ass time to uh, loop on himself. For example, the year, right, going around the sun, man, that's a, that's kind of a weight. <laughs> yeah, that's a hell of a measure. <laughs> <laughs> that's Earth. Think about fucking. I think Saturn's twenty nine and a half years. Yes, it's it's pretty great. Like if someone says they they just celebrated their third birthday, it's quite the momentous event if they're human. Yeah. So all that shit gets kind of relative. So in that gig that you're experiencing, you know, I think they're asking you to like pay attention to different kinds of things. Let go of that need. You know, you can write a novel without inventing one word, and it still can be kind of original. Right, because context is everything. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's absolutely. It's not... So it's like they're playing that fuck chord, right? 
Well, I'd also say it's just like when you and D Boone started a, a Minutemen, you know, it wasn't necessarily there's oh, antecedents yeah. to what you're doing, but it was the way that you did it is because it was you guys doing it that made it work and made it what it was. Yeah, some of that shit was one part. Joe McCarthy's Ghost is one part. But that's a killer song, and it works, you know? <laughs> like so. sometimes, sometimes another part can kind of ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a good part, I mean, hey. Yeah, if it's a good part, okay. You know, that that's, you know, and then on the other side of it, there's, you know, my fucking third opera with, you know, 30 parts, and each part's yeah, got yeah. five. Yeah, so, God, that was hard to fucking get together. So, yeah, I mean, like, and so, in front of people, you know, without written down, it was, I, we had to memorize that whole motherfucker. Yeah, so that's but, that, that, the tradition of that. Humans in the old days, right? I think the Iliad and uh, Odyssey for hundreds of years was oral before it was written down. Sure, I mean, that's how you get like, well, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's so trippy when people say, well, that's the word of God with the Bible. It's like, man, these stories were told over and over again. Some of them by this guy's friends. I mean, gee, come on. <laughs> you think it's going to stay I, the same? No, uh, nothing written to compare them against, so they were always dynamic and changing yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so, but as far as how it regards to your work, that's interesting that you bring it up because, you know, some of the stuff you've done, obviously you've pushed out different directions, tried different things. You know, compositionally, how do, how does that all come together for you? Because you kind of, I, I think the bass is an interesting uh, instrument to use for composition. I mean, it's it's yeah. not really, yeah, it's not. It's usually the last thing added unless you're in a reggae or R and B band. Yeah, especially in rock. Yeah, right. There was always a strict hierarchy, and most of the compositions done. Even jazz, I was reading, you know, Charlie Mingus is beneath the underdog. He never composed on the bass. He always did it on the piano. Now, the thing about the piano and the guitar composing on, there's a lot of harmonic information there. And with the bass guitar, when you compose on that, you're actually letting your collaborators be a lot more f free with how they realize how to voice them chords. I mean, we got the start and the stop and the rhythms and all that, but we leave the Harmonic stuff kind of up to our collaborators. Guys like Nels Klein love it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's perfect for him. <laughs> yeah. with it's like, man, that's like you're trying to write a song on the kick drum, man, or the cymbals. <laughs> Not enough information. Other people, they like it because it's got that lack of information. Yeah, I guess it you depends know, on the player. Being, it's weird being about composition. You know, there's the guy who thinks up of all the parts. But then kind of the tradition I come from is no... It's not realized. I'll give you a song. I'll give you verse, chorus, bridge, all that stuff. But it's more like a launch pad, more like a springboard. This is how we're going to start off, and then we're going to see what happens when you bring your stuff to the party. That's the way I compose using the bass guitar. And and that can be a nice surprise that way too, right? I mean, especially if you trust the players. Uh, well, you know, I did it with D Boone big time because we grew up playing. I never had to teach D Boone a song. I just played it for him. Yeah. Because we grew up together, so kind of osmosis thing. But then after that, I tried it again with uh, Nels Klein in my first opera, Contemplate in the Engine Room. And he realized that whole thing. You know, I wrote that whole trip without letting him or Hodge, the drummer man, even hear it. So I revealed it one part at a time. And these guys... And I wouldn't use music words to, to tell the tale. You know, I wanted them to try to feel it out with their instruments. And, you know, the bass can do that. Right. 
And it, it, I mean, it all depends on how you play it, too. You know, it's, it's certainly you have an expressive way well, of playing. I'm using, it as, I'm using it as this kind of composition thing here. Yeah. I'm using that as the first thing. I also did it with the. It's funny they called it my solo record, but there was 48 different people. He's <laughs> gonna say it's guest star galore, but yeah. <laughs> well, these players like this, you know. We're yeah. like glue, and what's what's glue with nothing to stick to, you know, just a puddle. So you need the other cats. And that was the whole idea of that record. I thought if the bass player knew the song, that anybody could come play drums and guitar and sing. It, was, it, was, it wasn't like saying the bass was more important, but like the bass is kind of crucial if, if, if you want it to be. Well, and what was such a trip about that record is that it sounded... Uh, thematically similar like it, it it sounded almost like a like a like a comp tape or something but it sounded like a band too even though it was different people singing like it really worked well because of that i think it ended up as being 17 different bands yeah <laughs> jesus but yeah the <laughs> thing was the bass player so that's that's saying something there conan if you think they 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 kind of had something that joined them all together yeah then i <laughs> then I think that ex- that petri dish experiment was a success. Well, Maybe I was more the tugboat and less of the ball. The ball okay. Well, and that's because that was the whole idea with the title, right? Because it was yeah, that was it. You know, what am I going to be? Am I going to be some fake lead guitar, or I'm going to be really a fucking essential Aiden and a better? And. You know, it's you're from you're obviously as anyone that knows you knows you're from Pedro, and you know not a risk. I came here when I was nine. I'm from Virginia originally, but as as far as from musically, I'd say fifty two years, no, fifty three years now. Yeah, we can we can probably say you're a resident at this point, right? (laughs) Belong to San Pedro Bay Historical Society for a number of years. I probably know more about Pedro than people born here. And for those not in the know, uh, you know, there it's a, you know, this kind of a shipping town. Like there's boats. There's well, it's the harbor of Los Angeles. In yep. fact, we're the biggest harbor of the United States. That's in Long Beach. So I've, I've uh, Long Beach. Long Beach is the east side. We're the west side. We must Wilmington's the north side. We're actually three different neighborhoods share the harbor of Los Angeles in Long Beach. So, I mean, do you feel like that informed? We were really lucky. I mean, it was a weird, perfect storm. That's why I came here from Virginia. You know, that's the biggest Navy base in the world. But mm-hmm. it's a lot closer to Vietnam here. My pop was a, a machinist mate in the Navy. Well, a few years of that stuff, and finally that war ended. Mao Zedong died, so China was open for business. And this invention called the CAN, right, the shipping container, actually came out of New Jersey, a, a company called Sealand, a guy named Mr. McMillan. Basically, it's a railroad boxcar without the trucks, but this changed all the shipping. And then, like I said, about China being open for business, and then the war over, it doesn't have to be a Navy base here. It could be a, a, a container terminal. So that changed our whole harbor. You know, we what we were before that, we were uh, the, the, the tuna industry for about 50, 60 years, chicken of the sea, uh, star kissed all that was from here uh, uh tuna used to be like cat food and then somebody thought of putting mayonnaise with it and it became chicken uh tuna <laughs> people used it like yeah on their uh, lunchtime right right and it was, we had over 500 fishing boats but of course we fished on all the tuna so it destroyed that industry yeah whoops <laughs> <laughs> i know well you look at the flag of lebanon right the cedar tree there's no cedar trees yeah 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 all down. Humans have done this mistake over and over again. 
so there's a lot of nautical imagery in, in a lot you do. And Pop uh, was a sailor, right? Yeah. And and he did 20 years in the Navy, and he didn't understand why I kept playing after D. Boone got killed, you know? He knew it was something that we did as boys to be together. But So I started sending postcards. He didn't know I was making a living at music. So I started sending postcards from Tor, and he couldn't pl- believe I was playing all these parts. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Arkansas, you know, from his father's day, right? Arkansas, you know, like Jerry Lee Lewis and Little Richard days, it was pretty heavy, right? And I said, no, things have changed a little bit, Bob. And so, but he said, you know, in a way, you're like a sailor, and this is where I got my whole idea for the first opera. You know, that maybe there is, even though some ways way different life than my father's but maybe this idea of getting in a vehicle and yeah. working towns sort of like what he was doing going to different harbors and going going to port <laughs> right, right. And, and that's how you started calling the van the boat right i mean that's sort of natural correlation. absolutely absolutely there was a book too by richard mckenna the only novel this guy wrote he and he was a machinist mate in the 20s in the u.s navy in china that time and he wrote a book called the sand pebbles and uh i used a lot of that in the first opportunity well i couldn't believe it when you know when we were boys it was me and d boone's favorite movie it had steve mcqueen 1966 you know but we couldn't understand what it was fucking about <laughs> but, but steve mcqueen in a suit right yeah yeah it's you're still in just at this at absolutely and then we found this uh well i did with porno for pyros i was on tour and i found out it, there was actually a book it was made out of I couldn't believe the book. I, I, I knew it was written by a sailor. And sure enough, I found out this guy spent 23 years in the Navy. So I just found a lot of things. Just like I was talking to you about vaudeville. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, Yeah, there's a lot of parallels in this work with vaudeville and with being a sailor. Yeah. And, you know, I think that also ties into your whole you know, perceived ethos of it being kind of like, you know, like what, what'd you say uh, for Minutemen? Like there's the flyers in the show, right? <laughs> like same, same oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, we divided, yeah. We divided the world into gigs and flyers and anything that wasn't a gig was a flyer to get people to that. Gig. We were just, you know, cause we came from Marina rock. So when we saw those first punk gigs, the bags and the germs, and I mean, we couldn't believe it. And so we thought the gig was everything. Right. Everything. You know, the moment of, in the moment stuff of watching a band play, there was nothing in between that band and you. Like they were dealing with the listener without any filter, any kind of bogart or bum rush. You know, we just thought that was, that's what we wanted to be part of. So we thought everything was about the gig. So everything you did, like a picture or a record, or an interview, a spiel, or something. That was a a flyer in a way to get people to the gig so they could experience you and your buddy trying to express themselves with their own voice on their instruments. And it can be a trip for, you know, kids coming up now to understand that, you know, it wasn't like how it is now, where you could just, you know, push a couple buttons and like, oh, what's what's this all about? Like, you know, it was a thing. It, it, you know, the, it's cliche to say it, but you did have to be there to see it and experience it. Yeah. And also, like I said, we were reacting against the arena rock where they gave you a seat in the dark. You're a mile away. 
I didn't even know the bass had fucking bigger strings. I was so far away. <laughs> and when you go to a club and, you know, you, you watch this band, you know, like, for example, the Germs playing this super original. You never heard this before. And you can see Lorna's bass. Yeah, she's got big strings. That's why there's only four. Right, right. And then when they get to get this, so Conan, they get done playing. And there's Pat Smear standing right next to you. And you can rap with this guy. I mean, that's not, that's not arena rock. Right. That's a whole another way. It's almost like they were take, taking turns playing in front of each other. It was way different than, you know, here's the altar, here's the pews. Yeah, and, and that's something that, you know, you said before, and I've certainly identified with that, you know, it wasn't about there being, oh, you know, person on stage, like a different breed, they're like a demigod or something. It's like, no, you just taking turns being in the audience being on the stage yeah which seems kind of like really obvious and simple but if you only know arena rock it's almost a fucking revelation yeah definitely a mind blow and so that's why we embraced the movement even though it was not very popular most people hated us for joining this crew that's why i like nowadays people are so much more open-minded about it it's no problem people who go to berkeley school of music have no problem with you being a punk rocker that was nothing 40 years ago like that. Yeah, it was when when they, you know, people talk about things being a lifestyle choice, but, you know, no oh, joke. Man. It was a different world. Bands <laughs> like ACDC didn't like punk. Yeah. And to me, I, there's hardly any difference, you know. Punk, well, for me, actually, the movement wasn't a style of music. It was more of a state of mind. Style of music was up to every band, you know. There's many ways to be a punk band, in my mind. Maybe in other people, they, they, they're not that... Uh, free about it but the way i look at it there's being but you know you're born with a different f fingerprint then we got to spend a lifetime proving to each other and on one hand we're completely unique but on the other hand so much in common at the same time more of that dangling duality stuff oh Dan. yeah and and i think that's something that when they talk about you know the history of punk like they a lot of times maybe not so much now but like bands like the screamers and stuff were kind of written out of history because it didn't fit the narrative yeah right no guitar right and i think and they were like the first band that could probably sell out the whiskey the, the biggest punk band we had in our scene didn't even have a guitar <laughs> and 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 to me well, that suicide didn't have one yep uh, up in the city no mercy that, that 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 was two ladies one singer one drummer you know, if Zev, this guy hung pieces of metal, you know, that would almost kill him maybe as he'd beating the shit out of the stuff. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Anything. Well, why not? Because it, things had been got, gotten so rote and so unsurprising and unmind-blowing, we needed a reaction to that, I think. So, so do you feel that that attitude still exists with, like, newer bands and uh, that you yeah, see out there? Of yeah, of course. Court. Once that uh, that door got pushed open, it never really got slammed back shut. Uh, because uh, the idea of the uh, Nuremberg rally, which has kind of got, <laughs> I hate to say it, but Arena Rock's got roots in that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. There's a way we, can, we, we don't need to, to come together in, in big fucking things like that. You know, there, there's a bunch of sickness and danger about the way we do come together via the Internet. But at least it ain't in those silly kind of situations that are physical like that. So we actually, you can have intimate kind of things, right? People have their own YouTube dot 
um, channels. They have their own websites. I mean, there are, are some kind of things that are fighting it against that homogenous herd thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, not to put too fine a point on it. That's what I try to do with this show. Uh, you know, whatever small way, like one, one yeah, right. patch you of avoid, the quilt. Right? <laughs> you know, it's just one one small piece of a bigger hole, but... But in the old days, what you have to do? You had to have a like a bumper sticker on your car. That's the only way you could get heard, and hopefully, some guy driving behind you gets the idea or some. Sh- right? We didn't have, or or maybe there were some lyrics in some songs, or there was a, it's a was a different way of sharing in the old days. Well, yeah, I you mean, know? just that even that uh, what is it? Don't mess with Texas. That was actually started as an anti littering campaign, and yeah, people was- don't even know that now. Yeah, it was on the t- on the side. Actually, the the signs doubled as like bridges ice before. You know, they would fold it down in the summertime. Oh, and say, you know, right, yeah. right. <laughs> so, you know, kind of a two for yeah economy. Right, people took it on as yeah they they missed the point. It was like and it's really ridiculous too. Like you have to tell people not to litter. Yeah, that's you know yeah no shitting on people's chests. No, you know no ivory. You know. <laughs> Tell people this kind of shit. I, I can't believe humans in a way. Yeah, but I guess you do. I I, I saw one. Oh, you know, we were uh, last tour. I just did a tour th- this fall, my sixty seventh one. It was forty five gigs in forty five days. It was thirteen thousand three hundred eighty miles. I drove every one of them. But we were compare us in the boat. We're comparing the different fines for littering. Oh, to do different and, states. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because you know. Tenth Amendment, right? So anything in the Constitution, the states handle it. Yep. So I guess that goes for litter fines. And and like one state had like a six thousand two hundred, maybe fifty dollar. I don't know where they get this number, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, just kind of a, somebody's picked up an arbitrary, very high number. Six thousand two hundred fifty, like almost a feet in a mile, except another thousand or something. I don't know where they got that number, but anything for people. So, so who is and, the- the- and then you'll have people complain why they can't get their plastic straw. <laughs> so who was the lowest and who was the highest? Do you remember? Yeah, that's the whole thing. It's perception is nine tenths of the law. Who's who's a snowflake? Who's losing? Who's winning? You know? Yeah, yeah. Worry about the most silly ass shit. In the meantime, yeah, you got a plastic patch the size of Texas in the Pacific Ocean. Right, exactly. That plastic island where so many people don't even know. Yeah, access. right. <laughs> yeah, how'd that get there, you know? Yeah, yeah, I wonder. Well, you, yeah. so you brought up an interesting point. You do all the driving when you tour, right? Yeah, I did on this one here. Has, uh, has that always been the case? Have you normally like... You know, my hand gets sore doing the bass. That's why I play short scale for gigs. And there's something vibrating on the wheels that kind of helps. So has is that something you know? Do you feel like that's a like you're the captain of the ship, so you're going to be the one at the helm, or is it just kind of more comfortable? You know, well, Conan, you know, I got a bad knee. Yeah, I was born with bad knees, and then this port side got hurt in a Stooges gig ten years ago, and so I can't really do a lot of the schlepping of the gear and stuff. So I try to pull my weight behind the wheel. It's it's not really trying to be the boss. It's more like. What can I do to help the whole, yeah, the whole mission? Right, I can work the base, some spiel. I can work the driver wheel. I can't really. I got a cart, so I can get all my base stuff on the shine cart and get it around. But you know, I'm a coal, I'm a cripple, you know, and so I try to comp. It's kind of a compensator. Well, and that's and obviously, you know, it's been a while 
since that injury, but I mean, that's, that is a life change. You got to think about that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Well, I'm kind of used, I was born, it's kind of a gift. You know, I found, uh, there was a family thing and I saw some relatives, some cousins from Denmark. My, my father's mother was from Denmark and these people had fucked up knees like me. So I thought, Oh, that's where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little uh oh, yeah right you're, you you inherit certain things genetic landmine waiting for you <laughs> yeah but, you know hey it's better than swinging a colostomy sack <laughs> I mean, you gotta take, keep the shit in proportion right but if you ask me about why i do the driving that's why i'm trying to compensate in ways where i can't help the band in other ways like schlep big shit you know yeah yeah no, that makes sense and, and that's uh you know, you mentioned it's not that, supposed to be a hair shirt. I'm not <laughs> trying to do penance or shit like that. I'm just trying to do my, you know, pull my weight. Well, I mean, and it's you know to to each their own strengths, and that also applies to you know when someone can shore up something that maybe someone else is not so great at, then that's uh, that's why it's a band and not you know. I've never liked the term project for that exact reason because project implies that you know there's sort of more autonomy. Uh, going on with it whereas with the band it's like you're banding together it's everyone's kind of pitching in to to accomplish a goal yeah but okay you want to get all Wittgenstein about the semantic uh a proj can be a band it can it okay. can <laughs> not a like proj we're gonna act like we're together in a band <laughs> yeah like just to me a proj is anytime you get together with somebody else and there's many many different ways to do that Sometimes you give the direction. Sometimes you take the direction. Sometimes you part out the direction. So, oh, and you actually just reminded me. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, those cats you were playing with the um, El Sogno del Mariano. I probably mispronounced that. El Sogno del, del Marinaio. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry. I'm, I took German. Sogno del Marinaio. It's a little like Spanish. Spanish would be El Sueño. The Marinero. So they're, they're kind of close, but it means a sailor's dream. So your band was Stefano and Paolo. <laughs> no, it ain't really my band. I was asked, asked, this is a collaboration. I was asked to join two Italian guys. Right. So I'm actually a part of an Italian, uh, European band with two Italians, and I only write about a third of the stuff. So it's different than a band with uh, Mike Watt in the name. Because I want you to know who to blame, so I'll put my name there because I give all the... <laughs> Second hand and miss a minute. So I want you to know who to play. But something that has a name, and especially something with like an Italian name, you know, Watt's only a part. And he's not really, he's not the shot caller. He ain't the, the capo, you know? Well, and, and, and to credit where credit's due, I may have stolen that quote because, uh, you know, it's Kona Neutron and the Secret Friends for, for my band. And I, I might have said, like, yeah, that's how you know that's how you know who to blame. <laughs> I think that's a good oh, way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah, I think we're coming from the same place on it. Yeah, so you, you met these fellas, and they're... Uh, but, but I'm also saying at the same time, I found that life is about taking turns. You're, you're in different roles. Even a guy at the factory, you know, getting a beat down on the assembly line. He comes home, and he's kind of running the pad, maybe. Or maybe he's got some kind of collaboration with his wife. Maybe it's a lot more fair than down at the factory. I'm saying there's there's different roles, yep. you know. And the same thing with music. I think it's healthy. For one thing, I know... Or I'm a pretty good belief that if you're always the boss, you're not going to learn everything. Totally, it's going to get your fucking way. So, so these fellows come at you from Florence. Like, how does this? How does this start up? Uh, Bologna, actually. Okay, sorry. But they're close. 
that's uh, Emilia Romano, and uh, the other one is uh, Tuscany, right? Yeah, so Tuscany, they're, they're yeah. Next to each other. They're next to each other. Okay. But Bologna's kind of in the middle. They call it the train town, but that's where these guys are. And they went to school, you know, they're the, the very accomplished musicians, about 20 years younger. And they asked me to be part, yeah, kind of an avant-garde. They like to play in strange times, which is very difficult for me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been about 10 years, now, more than 10 years I've been playing with them. We're, ju we're just uh, getting uh, to mix the third album now that we recorded in Pedro last year. It's called Terzo. And uh, it's uh, it's mainly the, the guitarist Stefano Palia. It's 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 uh, mainly his proj, but he's way into collaborating and coming together with uh, the different guys. We've we've gone through. We're on the second drummer now, Paolo Mangardi. The Andrea Belfi played on the first two albums, so this is the first album with uh, Paolo Mangardi, and uh, really kind of interesting, you know. And and, I, and and it's trippy to be in a European band. Yeah, I was going to ask how that cultural divide, or not yeah, divide necessarily, but how that, how that, how's that play Divide, but at the, like most human things, for everything unique, there's a lot in common. So you do see the divide, but then you also see, despite all the different, the miles, the language, the culture, there's still a lot in common. You know, a lot of, that's the way I like about arts. It's, it's nuanced. It shows you differences, but then at the same time, togetherness. It's really interesting that way. Of course, it's done in different things. It's different than my second man. It's different than my missing man. It's different than me and the Stooges. It's different than even this new project I got with Mike Baguetta and Steve Hodges called MSSV. Right. Means stop valve. This is a guy, I, I, last month, I made an album with them. He wrote all my bass lines. Oh, whoa. I have not been in that situation except for like where you replace the dead guy and you play old songs. <laughs> like the Stooges, yeah. yeah. For example, the Stooges or uh, or, or even uh, uh, Porto for Pyro. Mark Time wasn't dead, but he was not that healthy at the time. Yeah, yeah, he but, wasn't up for playing, so yeah. Yeah, he is now. I mean, he's great shape, but at that little moment, and I could help those guys out, but that still was learning another guy's stuff, right? Yeah, same principle. So, but here, I'm not learning another guy's stuff. I'm actually learning stuff some guy wrote for me to be part of this trio. I've never been in, in all my years. I've never been in that situation. So was he like writing it towards your what he perceived your bass voice to be? Or was it just like, oh, hey, uh, here's the thing? Well, I'll tell you, it seemed kind of easy to play. <laughs> it seemed like, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? He was engineering it that way for me. Yeah. Well, I had already made an album the year before with Jim Keltner on drums with him, and I think he picked up and we did a, a tour together with Hodge on drums because Mr. Keltner can't tour so much. But I think both those experiences gave him a sense of what Watt's like, and so he wrote Watt things. But but me personally, I've never been in that sitch before. It's the first time for me. Uh, but you know, the more the merrier. The more roles. Uh, I don't know whether th that guy in. Stratford upon Avon wrote the plays, but that that thing, you know, life is a stage of many roles and shit. I think that's uh, that might be uh, applied to a lot of work, but especially the arts. Yeah. No. I... Yeah, I think it's good to take different roles. I think each one gives you a different perspective, and so you can take away different kind of lessons. So you know, I really believe uh, life is a classroom. That was the whole idea of the third opera. It's not just college, high school, grade school, and that yeah, shit. It never You're stops. High. Yeah, now, yeah, especially, and it's one of the good things.
It's yeah, not yeah. a. It's, <laughs> it's not something to get bummed out by. It's not a B word. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, and I, I certainly think that's a fantastic way of looking at it. And I, you know, I think it's very clear to anyone remotely paying attention that you know whether all the lessons may not be great, but like there's certainly plenty to learn. Uh, you know, <laughs> throughout life. You're very kind. I mean, I'm just trying to share with you these ideas about these projects. Yeah, so uh, tell me. I, I, I try to make them uh, reruns. Like another recent project I'm involved in with is the uh, Jumpstarted Plowhards. And this, again, is another interesting uh, exploration with the bass guitar. This guy uh, runs Recess Records. A Torrance guy moved to Pedro in the 90s, wanted to be part of I guess our scene, you know, which blew my mind because, you know, us Minutemen were the only punk rockers. I couldn't believe 20 years later there'd be a scene. But anyway, I did a little tour with him. And I said, hey, how about I write you a bunch of songs on the bass and you play guitar and sing. And the only thing I want you to do is use a different drummer for each tune. Mm. And so he went for it. He fucking went for it. He brought it. You know, I put it out there and he went for it. And, you know, there's nothing another artist could do for another artist than fucking be sincerely inspired. Yeah, by dig in. You. Yeah. yeah, isn't it the biggest, you know, pat on the back or whatever, instead of a schmooze, to be inspired by an artwork that you decided to share? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, it's... Couldn't ask for a better thing. I mean, I, I never get more fired up to play or to do something creative than after I see something really great, you know, whether it's like a great band or, you know, uh, some sort of uh, like visual art or something. Just, it makes you want to like, it, it makes you remember that's all part of a greater whole and it kind of fires up some synapses in the brain to uh, do some more cool stuff. Exactly. And again, you know, the, the tunes I wrote, launch pads springboards no and realized on purpose because they're supposed to be you know like the name start, uh, jump start you know get, let's get this going and now plow hard right <laughs> not, plow hard, not like the boss we got right now not a blowhard but a plow yeah man <laughs> we could we could do a whole show on that <laughs> i've had dudes who do uh who did uh, spiels with me and they I don't know. They don't want to see the P. They want to see a B there. So they get called blowhard, but it's plow. <laughs> it's plow. They're expecting it to be blowhard. <laughs> well, these times we're in, you know, there's yeah. a lot of hard. There's a lot of blowhard. As, so, as, as a sidebar for that, when we're talking, when we're talking about the man uh, in, in in the Oval Office. I make a special point to not mention that dude as much as possible because you know that he gets a raging hard microphallus erection every time his name is mentioned, whether it's positive or negative, and that pisses yeah, me well, off. Yeah, well, I just wanted to clear up that one-letter difference between the two names in that band. For sure, and it's hilarious. Or that Proj. It's called the Proj because uh, – uh, and we're just about to do the third one. I told him no gigs till we get five of them. When we get five of them, they're 12-inch 45s with eight songs apiece. So after 40 – Tunes and 40 drummers will finally do a gig because I've never done it that way. Well, and what would that look like? The whole idea is not to do reruns, you know. I want to get involved with these projects that are pretty singular. They're pretty different from each other. So would you you do the show like how you have the records where you have different drummers kind of jumping in? 
like song by song or like, I mean, it's kind no, of, we'll wait, we'll wait till we get there. There's okay. still <laughs> Sounds good. 24 songs out. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Something to look forward to. Uh, so I, I want to, you, you, you talked about your time in the studios. I want to talk about that a little bit, but I want to preface it with a, just a quick story that I saw you play in bass with the uh, Jay Mascus and the fog. Uh, yeah, that had a lot to do with that reunion with the Stooges. Right, and I, I went to that show, I, don't know, I was still in the Bay Area at the time, I went to that show in SF, brought a friend along. And I think it was Great American Music Hall. Great American Music Hall, and we were sitting there, and I was, you know, I enjoyed the record, so I was just enjoying just the Jay Maskus and the Fog songs, but then... Yeah, I love the album, that's a great album. I think Jay plays everything on that record. And it's completely underrated, I feel. But the, I, I'm sitting there, you know, with my friend... And y'all bring Ron Ashton out, and I'm freaking out. My friend does have no idea who the Stooges are. He doesn't know from Ron Ashton. And I'm like, yeah. that's one of my favorite guitar players of all time from one of my favorite bands of all time. That dude's from the Stooges. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. You know, you know, Conan, that Jay was at, he was a drummer when he was younger. Yeah. He learned guitar because of Funhouse. Wow. So to get to play, I remember he told me, he goes, first you rip a guy off, then you play with him. <laughs> we were in Ann Arbor on tour. Well, I, and I, I, you know, Ronnie had come and saw me with Minuteman and with Firehose. The colonel would take him to Greektown in Detroit. And anyway, he, I also made a film with him, a soundtrack called uh, Velvet Goldmine. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I want to talk about that, too. Uh, on this, I, yeah, so, so, so I kind of knew Ronnie and... Uh, and Jay asked me, hey, you know him. Why don't you call him up? We're in Ann Arbor at Blind Pig. Tell him to come down and jam with us. So I called Ronnie up and he came on down. And the last third of the set, we did all Stooges songs. So Jay asked Ronnie, will you come on tour with us? And that's why you saw him in the city. And, and it's crazy to think about now because I think just communication happens real quickly. So these kind of extemporaneous moments are sort of everyone knows about him immediately. But I had no idea. And when I saw it, like it's it, kind of shy, you know. Jay don't like to tell a lot of people. I and it, it blew my mind, and like in a, in a great way. Uh, I, like I just was like I, I was simultaneously more excited i think than i had been in a very long time and also just shocked at the same time and it was it was beautiful and then you got steve mckay come out play some saxophone too. Hi, you live in there you know there's a town right near called pacifica of course yeah and that's where you know because originally he's from grand rapids but that's where he spent his last 30, 30 years of his life and so can you can you tell me from your side from your perspective how, you know, Ron coming out and playing these Stooges songs with you and you having this relationship with him, uh, having Velvet Goldmine, to how you ended up in the Dave Alexander role uh, play, <laughs> playing in the goddamn Stooges when the Stooges came back. Yeah, well, you know, Ronnie and Ig hadn't talked in 29 years. Long and, uh, yeah, but Ig heard about, well, what happened was it wasn't just Ronnie. After about a year of doing that, touring around with uh, doing J. Maskers the Fog, a little bit of Dinosaur, and then the last third, it'd be all Stooges with Ronnie. There was an Ultimar party. Remember that festival? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. There was one at UCLA in California, at SoCal, and Thurston was the, what do you call it? The, 
uh, curator. I don't, I don't think you're supposed to use curator, curator if it's not art, but whatever. That's what that's what's called. So screw it. No artist music. It's yeah, exactly. It's, I, I've I've had people that like are museum people who get really pissed off when I say that, but whatever. They can they can take a seat. Curate just means put together the trip, right? Yeah, organizer, whatever. Yeah, so Thurston curated this thing, and. Uh, Scotty was living in his truck at the time in Florida. So he, he said, well, why don't we rent Scotty a drum set? And Jay, what? You can play with both Ashton brothers. So we started, we did that gig. And then we did some others in Europe. And that's where Ig heard about it. And he asked Ronnie to be on this, this album he had called Skull Ring. Him, right, him right. They did three songs. And after that, they got invited to play Coachella. So I was on tour with my second man. I was in Tallahassee, and I get this phone call from Ig. And Ig says, uh, it was right after sound check at the cow house, at the second one, I think. And, hey, Mike, Ronnie says you're the man. <laughs> I fucking couldn't believe it. I looked at the phone. It was like, what? And he says, would you do me a favor and wear a T-shirt instead of a flannel? And I said, fuck yeah. <laughs> John Fogarty's idea. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I said, what about Levi and Fla uh, Converse? And he said, that's strong. And I said, all right. <laughs> and then he talked about, you know, trippy things about light show and drummer in lime green and bass player in bright orange or some nightmare shit. And he didn't want that to happen. <laughs> Finally, he got to the music. He said, now, look, however we end the songs, that's how we end them. I'll see you in two weeks. And I was like, whoa, what the fuck's that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, kind of a... I to Memphis and keep touring. And so, you know, I play every day when I tour. So Memphis, I leave them to fly to SoCal. There's a one prac in Hollywood right, that we're going to do before this gig in the Coachella Valley, right? Actually, Indian Valley by Palm Springs, it's like on a polo field or anything, but this is in Hollywood, the practice, and I got sick on the plane going over. So, uh, you know, but I'm not going to let them know. So it's just me, the Ashton Brothers and Ig in this practice room that's all mirrors, and he's running around, jumping around. It's like a fucking gig, and I'm thinking, oh, the first album, you know, because they were the psychedelic suitors, the, the gigs used to be just one big improvised thing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. He had like the, the, the uh, like the egg beater or whatever whatever it was going and like just whatever crazy stuff. Blender. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sorry, blender. Blender and shit like this and but when they got signed they had to write some songs at the Chelsea Hotel, you know, uh, the producer man was uh, John Cale. And so uh the songs didn't have a lot of them didn't have any they had fade outs. That's what <laughs> Yeah, half the songs on the first album fade out. So my mind, I thought, oh, that's what he's talking about. We're going to end it, you know, maybe, you know, whatever, you know, eight times around and then on the one or something. It wasn't just crazy talk. It, it, it is like this. Right. And and I've always joked that anytime I hear a song with a fade out, I always say like, yeah, and they went on for five minutes after that. <laughs> but the engineer turned and, them off. And, I, and then, you know, those guys, a song, for example, a song like uh, on the first album called Not Right. Mm-hmm. That song, it's not even, that's the first time they even practice it. Because when it goes to no, 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 when they're going to go that middle part, Scotty was going to jump to another part. And Nick is actually like, 
giving him an and instruction. Guy, yeah, it's it, <laughs> the vocal, it's the lyric, it ain't. What a trip, wow. <laughs> you got to understand, I mean, we wouldn't have had a, even a movement without Stooges. Of course. So I'm around these guys. I mean, finally, I'm the youngest guy in the band. I'm like a little brother. So my ears are like the size of an elephant, and they're all foam rubber sponges trying to soak up. I would ask those guys like 10 million questions a second. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was always asking them about buttloads of shit. Because, you know, here, it's it's like... How much shit is second, third, fourth, fifth hand? And I'm right at the source. Mm-hmm. It's like the blues guy on the porch or, or me going to the well and and, 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 and you know, cranking up the rope. And here the, the bucket comes up. That water is from the well. Yeah. That's not from Sparklet's bottle. That's not from some dude's bladder, you know, kidney filtered body temperature. <laughs> so did you, did you have any... Anything that you could share with us that were like some great epiphanies that that were you know either didn't match maybe what you thought or that was just like kind of a well, weird cool. Well, for the baseline and uh, little doll, something that I used after my sickness. By the way, that's twenty years coming up on Leap Day next month. Oh man, is that long? Huh? Wow. Go through it in four years where I almost died of this shit. But uh, that's one reason I got way into Stooges because they had tubes in me, so I couldn't play. You know, it was the first time I had to stop since T-Boone. Ma put me on bass, you know, when we were boys. And I couldn't play, you know. You don't use it, you lose it. Mm-hmm. So I all the stooges, yeah, atrophy, all the shit, you know. So to get it back, and I found out the bass line, the little doll. They, Dave Alexander actually got that from Pharaoh Sanders, Upper Egypt, Lower Egypt. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> so shit like that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. They tell you all kinds of stuff, you know. I remember Ig one time was showing me around Ann Arbor with this rented staying, and he stops in front of this apartment building. He said, Mike, right here, Ted Nugent and Buckskin asked me to join the Amboy Dukes. They took everything I had to keep from busting up. You know, <laughs> I somehow got out. Ted, I think you got the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, that would be shit like this, all kinds of stuff. It's just beautiful things, you know. Uh, nothing hurtful or hateful or anything just Just, stuff i wasn't there and you know these guys and very very interesting they were pioneers i mean they were breaking ground for us later yeah well and at least you had the you know the lexicon of having played with ron quite a bit and having played with uh scott too so it wasn't like you're coming in like totally blind but still that's the one thing ronnie you know ronnie was the guy who stuck up for me to get me in right and when people ask Ronnie, Ronnie would say, well, Watt knows the song. It was, it was again, it's Jay Maskus bringing him in. If you ask me, the whole reunion is because of Jay Maskus. I tried to tell Jim, Jim Jarmusch, I know he loves Stooges. He made this documentary. Yeah, I saw it. He talked to me twice. I've never seen it, but I tried to get that point to him, and it seemed like he understood it was about Jay. But Jay is so shy, he's not going to tell you that. Right. Yeah, it was... It was all right. I mean, I, I <laughs> Larry, the drummer friend of mine, told me there was some kind of animation that was silly. Yeah, you know, here's how I'd put it. You know, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I knew like a lot of you know the stuff that was to be known from other sources beforehand. So there wasn't any great epiphanies or something. I mean, there's some cool stuff like Iggy and Jarmusch go to. Uh, you know, one of those halls they played with the MC5, and it's it's still there, and they're like reminiscing. You know, some of that stuff was cool, but you know, it, it 
it was it was cool <laughs> like it was it wasn't amazing but it was it was it was worthwhile it was interesting well, you, you make me still afraid to go see it so i ain't yeah i'm i'm I remember trying... he talking to me twice and he was really sincere i could tell the dude really loves stooges that so that comes across that certainly comes across those guys they got several movies going at the same time so they kind of hand handed off to another crew yeah and maybe that's what i heard might have happened with this guy yeah and and i don't know like i'm trying i'm trying to choose my words carefully here <laughs> But I'd, I'd say it's worth checking out. You know, it's worth checking out. Well, I just wanted to show my respect to them guys. And I just think uh, it's just such a big part of the whole dealio. Hey, Hank Rollins just asked me to write a paragraph. I guess Rhino's going to put a vinyl version. You know, years ago, they put out a CD version of all the takes of Funhouse. I, yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's, such, that's crazy. I got that. And that was, that was wild to listen to. I got it too. And now it's going to come out on vinyl. And then Funhouse itself is going to come out on a, a double 12 inch 45, three sides. Hell yeah. That's great. Yeah. So he asked me to do a paragraph. And you know, when I think about listening to that, you know, because I heard Funhouse before I heard the first record when I was a boy. I'm 13 in 1970. So my whole teen years is the 70s. But man, no one. Except D. Boone likes Stooges. That <laughs> 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 I knew in Pedro. Yeah, nobody liked them. Like, zero. Now, you read in Cream Magazine, seen Richard Meltzer liked them. You know, seemed like, uh, right? Uh, what's yeah. his name? Um, uh, the editor who died on the cough syrup. Yeah, uh, um, I'm, 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 I'm Banks. Bl- <laughs> Banks. Banks, yeah. I almost said Lance Banks, which is a totally different dude. <laughs> you know what? No, they're not totally. He told me Lance told me they're cousins. Oh, are they actually related? Oh, what a trip! Okay, they are related. Okay, that's awesome. So Lance lives up in Portland. He comes up and sees my gigs, and uh, I've known him a while. Yeah, Ma- married dude. to uh, uh, Corinne. Cur- yeah, Tucker. Yeah, so like Marshall Tucker's her son. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's a- <laughs> What a trip that is. <laughs> yeah, I got to chow with them. They're going to college now, the, the, the son and daughter, those guys. And what a great couple. And anyway, uh, Lance told me his Lester is related to him. No kidding. Wow, okay. So, yeah, but other than like Lester Bangs, like Richard Meltzer and stuff, no one's listening to the Stooges down in San Pedro. Like it's sort of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're kind of a backwater, you know, and... Uh, it just was the way it was, you know. And, and in fact, us, we didn't know this because at that time, early 70s, Stooges, uh, you know, came to Hollywood and was living there and playing the whiskey. We didn't even know. Yeah. Because all we knew was arena rock. We didn't know about clubs till the movement. And that's, some, that's something else that, you know, younger cats also may not realize that, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't. It's stuff weird like time. This weird time we were in in the 70s, like the Stooges, they knew about clubs yeah. in the 60s. And, and the 80s kids know about clubs and stuff, late 70s because of the punk movement. But 70s kids kind of know mostly about arena rock. Yeah. And, and that 70s, like I was saying earlier about glitter and glam, and a lot of it was girls. Yep. A lot of the movement before hardcore up in Hollywood was girls. They were in a lot of the bands. They were a lot of the gig goers. Now, the scene was very small, you know, but still it was a lot of women. Kay was running the prac pad at the mask, 17 years old. 
Yeah. Incredible. She just got an Oscar for that that Mad Max thing. Oh, that's Lock right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about that. That was that was a big moment that like I tried I tried to explain to a couple of friends of mine. They're like like no, you don't understand. Like she's like been like yeah, doing people cool shit for forever. Like, like even the name Stooges, like these guys are retarded and shit. And not at all. In fact, okay, people were kind of weird and they kind of didn't fit in. And that's probably why they gravitated that scene, Parallel Universe. But like Ig with culture and Ronnie with history and Scotty with nature, Brother Steve with uh, politics and later on James Williamson, you know, interesting people, you know. Yeah. They're poor men, you know, the road man, uh, Henry McGrogan, uh, Josh, Max, the, the, the helper guys, uh, Eric Fisher, the robot. Uh, Interesting guys, and then in the scene too. Uh, this is where I meet Raymond Pettibone, people like Don Bowles, mm-hmm. you know, Pat Smear, and you know, can you imagine getting to be in a band with Pat Smear, Dave Grohl, you know, incredible. Right. <laughs> These are people from the old days, and yeah. there's a reason why it wasn't just a bunch of losers. You know, it, it's funny. I mean, it, a lot of the stuff was self. Uh, uh, deprecating you know a lot of the humor and you made fun of yourself and stuff but why not you know <laughs> yeah and i mean you've touched on it a couple times but also you know the music itself was like less uniform it, it wasn't like they're like okay you had to have a real fast beat and like you know you had to have <laughs> you know it had to be like this like it was before sort of rules got applied to it yeah but hilarious thing about that was the big a's painted on the jackets You know, like I was saying, like jam, we jam Econo for Minuteman wasn't just a slogan. We tried to live it. So where was the anarchy part about everybody wearing the same clothes, playing the same song? Yeah, that's a uniform. You might as well go join the police force. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty <laughs> yeah. obvious, right? It was pretty obvious. But you're also dealing with kids in some ways. And so, yeah, I remember uh, the Warp Tour, you know, I did some of those gigs. Hey, what? You're playing the Hot Topic st- stage. And I was like, oh, man, Lord. keep doing it into that and this guy said no man hot topic ain't what you think it's a store at the mall where you buy punk clothes <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. at the mall i fucking couldn't believe it they, like humans will co-opt anything go get some now, chains and anarchy patches down over yeah, by the uh, jamba uh, juice don't, don't answer. <laughs> it didn't start with the movement come on look, uh, look. pat boone sold many more tutti fruities than little richard that's and true. that's that's true that's like in the middle 50s. Yep. It's nothing new under the sun. You're right about that. Yeah. So shit gets co-opted. Shit gets abused. It's just the human way. So talk to me about when you play that first Stooges gig with Iggy. And you've got, you yeah. got the shirt, the Dave well, Alexander the shirt, right? With the Aston Brothers. It's with Brother Steve without any prac. He just got up there and blew. In 1970, when fucking Iggy goes to Brother Steve, he says... Blue, <laughs> he blew, man. <laughs> oh, Steve, blow. man, I couldn't believe. It. For one thing, the wind was blowing. You know, it's out in the desert. Blew Ronnie's fucking uh, amps over. Oh shit! Really? Put it, wow. Put it down sideways. Yeah, yeah. And I, like I was saying, I got sick on the plane flight over, so I didn't let them know. I was shaking like a leaf before we went on, and Flea and Ian McKay were there giving me hugs they thought they could get their body temperature in there to warm me up so i wouldn't shake oh man and he said you know there's a nurse with vitamin b niacin 
that can help with this sickness shit for the gig, at least try to get the shakes out. And so shot me in the ass with this vitamin B, and after about 20 minutes, I, have you ever had that stuff? It makes you all hot and itchy. Oh, man. Uh, they put me in a golf cart. I went up on the stage, and yeah, we're playing it. I remember Ig stopped us in dirt. He goes, are we in the right key? Because sometimes on those big stages. You can't tell. Yeah. Yeah, phase problems with the sounds. and So he couldn't tell. I said, yeah, we're in the right key. And he said, start it again. <laughs> I, mean, I couldn't believe it. And I, and, uh, Cody, I thought that was going to be the only gig. When I heard there was going to be another gig, it blew my mind. And then it turned into 125 months. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. So, so it started off being like, "Hey, here's we're gonna do this thing," and then you know, you're you're sitting here thinking like, "Man, I feel like crap. I'm gonna be doing this thing with like some of my childhood heroes." Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and uh, the two, the adrenaline after about the second song kicked in, but it was really that nice and that kind of helped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and then then after that gig, that gig actually burned that sickness out because I rejoined my guys, my second man in Raleigh. And we did 35 gigs straight. <laughs> so if I was fucking sick, how did I do fucking 35 gigs? That gig was really, uh, what, what do you call that? A, cl- a cleanser. Healing power of rock and roll, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So... So again, just to, to reiterate, like you're you're going through doing your own shows, your own tour while this is going on. You you get the nod to join up with the goddamn Stooges. Yeah. The response goes well. People like you know flip their flip their shit over it. Well, the it, response is a trip. Like you know, they're eleven years older than me, right? Mm-hmm. 11, Ten years. So you expect maybe the gig goers to be in the you know same age, but they weren't. Yeah, they were younger, right? And younger than me, because it's it was people. I think younger people. Why? Where did our movement come from? You know, Cat Beefheart ain't doing gigs anymore, but now these guys are. We can see at least somebody who was doing this stuff before they had a name for it. Yep, and I, and I think it's interesting to me too because you know I'm I'm a record like I worked at a record store, so I got turned on to all the good music, you know, pretty early on. You know, by the time I, I didn't discover punk rock till I was like 17 or so, but I, I made up for lost time pretty quick. But I knew the Stooges, but a bunch of other people kind of who feels I felt like they ought to, they never do. Then I would like throw them a copy of Funhouse and they'd have their mind blown. But I feel like after that first Stooges show, people kind of like, oh, let's check this out. Like maybe people that should have known or like were like, oh, I've heard that name before. And it kind of brought the Stooges closer to where they should have been all along in rock history if that makes any sense at least from an outsider perspective I mean like a validator yeah like it's just it's it either reminded people or like history students were ahead of the curve right and Absolutely. i feel like it it got to the point where history kind of caught up with them and just by being a live band it kind of allowed people to sort of be like, oh, yeah, this stuff is great. Like, you know, this this is awesome. And, like, I feel like, again, not like that's going to be, like, worldwide acclaim necessarily or, you know, millions and millions of dollars necessarily. But having been, like, uh, a fan from before and after it existed again as a live band, the, the difference was noticeable, at least amongst, amongst uh, younger folks, amongst kids. 
Anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like a revival oldies act. No, no, not at all. I mean, obviously, it was. There's and been. There, if you've ever been part of something Meg's part of. He never works that shit that way. Anyway, man, he works. He the, the idea of work in the room. I mean, I remember we were playing this racetrack in England, Donnie, <laughs> up by Leeds, or it was in the. I think they call it Midlands or middle middle part. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he goes, Mike. I mean, I feel like a shorter order cook. It's like I got to get everybody's order. Like, <laughs> you, you want to shake with that? Okay, what flavor? Like he's playing the gig to each dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that's his ethic, and uh, you know, and me, you know, who's a true believer. What better kind of sensei cat, you know, who, who's teaching by example, and he's got you on board, and he's the fucking bow of the boat, and he's a hard charger. What else can you do? But you know, gotta step it up. Yeah, cons co conspire and plow. Yeah, and that's. Those I swear, those gigs seemed like they were two, three minutes long. They would <laughs> pass me. I would have to focus on him completely because it was so easy for me to get lost in the tunes. You know, I heard yeah, as yeah. a book. Of course. But I do that. I had a responsibility, Conan. I had to be there to help deliver them. I could be the listener. <laughs> you know, I mean, I had, especially that first gig, I almost lost it several times because, you know, I'm hearing this shit, and, but I'm also part of making it. That was really a, a mind blow. So I would just focus on Ig. I wouldn't look at the gig goers. I'd look over at Ronnie, Scotty, Brother Steve. But mainly I was looking at Ig just to keep the fucking focus. Right. I mean, he's. I, I, would, I would say Iggy's one of the all-time great front people in rock and roll, like by a pretty large margin, you know? Like it's... He's a firecracker. Uh, uh, Even uh, all these years later. Yeah, he's all wild and crazy, but he also is hearing every note. He's, he's, well, you can tell he used to play drums. You can tell that, like, that's oh, how absolutely. it started. Well, he taught Scotty so he could be a front man after they saw the Velvet Underground. Yep. But I uh, found out. He's very rhythmic. Like, it's, uh, there's, like, he's oh, very aware of rhythm. Well, the name comes from playing drums for a band called the Guana. Yep. Iggy Guana. I used to have that record. Yeah, that's where it comes from. <laughs> And I never called him this, but his real name was James, Jim. I never called him. I always called him Egg because uh, well, I was never stooge. Yeah. I was there to help them out. Yeah, it was a real interesting thing when they got the, the Hall of Fame award, Scotty, at the kiosk, you know, when he get, delivers a little spiel. He said, Mike was never stooge, but he could have been one. Oh, that man. Was very kind. That was very kind because that's accurate. Yeah. You know, I... I I was very careful never to assume that I was a student. I was there to help out. I was there to give them my best notes, my best plan. I wasn't there to assume like I was there. Right. Because you know, my pop told me, you know, that wasn't spelled by accident, boy. When you when you make an ass out of you and me because you assume. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that, that so I was there to help yeah. out. But uh, <laughs> like I told you at the beginning of my stooge uh, story. Very interesting classroom to serve aboard. Well, but it also ties into some of the stuff you were talking about earlier about, you know, there, there being stuff to learn about Absolutely. different roles that you play in, in music, whether you're like the, you know, the person orchestrating the whole thing or you're just, uh, you know, driving the engine. <laughs> or or just what, 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 what uh, you know, when you did the time clock, you punched in your card. Those guys from, are from an earlier shift. 
Right, exactly. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, uh, they're from an earlier shift. There's things I could never know except by being with them because it was a whole different thing. I can imagine the, what the Stooges had to go through, you know. They didn't have, you know, in a way, it was really neat then getting to do those gigs starting in 2003 because those ones they did in the 60s into the middle 70s, a lot of them were beatdowns. People gave them a lot of negative shit. Yeah. Not appreciative crowds. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's again, now that the Stooges have sort of, like, reclaimed, if not exactly where they ought to be in rock history, they have, like, you know, some recognition and, like, you know, whole new generation of fans and stuff. It's hard. If you don't, if you haven't done the research, you just think, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, you know, really killer rock and roll. It's, like, punk before it was punk. But, you know, no one was looking for that at the time. No one was, no one was like, you know, <laughs> give, people, I don't going know. off the red carpet. <laughs> yeah, they, they did all that mind blow from Lil Richard. Hey, Sherry Lee Lewis had to get tamed down. They didn't want that anymore. I don't know. Maybe it was a marketing decision. All I know is the Stooges were true believers in rock and roll. And they let the fucking freak flag fly. They also love music. They listen to all kinds of different stuff. Well, sure. Listen to, I mean, listen to Ron's playing. Listen to like, um, uh, you know, some of the stuff he's doing is like total, uh, was it a Manavishu orchestra, kind of like chimey, like open notes that kind of go and like have this sort of like just bring it back to what we were talking in the beginning, almost like a drone effect. Yeah, yeah, right, right. We're talking about one part. TVI is one chord. Yep. I'm specifically... See, but I didn't have to tell you which song because you knew that that was going to be TVI that I'm talking about. Okay. And then something like Funhouse, Ig asked Brother Steve to play like Macy on L. You know, they're trying to do Jim Brown. They're doing funk. Yeah. You know, and TVI, by the way, the drums, that's snare on the one. That's Motown. I mean, there's so much different stuff going on with Stooges' stuff. Right. Nuance stuff, like big nuance. That's why when people say it's yeah. dumb music, I'm like, you're you're dumb for saying that. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Even those claps, the way because Ig knows how to syncopate. Listen to the claps and no fun and really interesting stuff. I mean, incredible and, and some stuff. Yeah, simple is the way you do it. It's Econo. Okay, maybe the skill level is wherever it's at, but also what is really making connect with the body and the mind. You know, what really resonates? Right. Is it always like some complicated Escher painting in the brain? Or is it something fundamental like a fucking, you know, high voltage cord falling on top of you? Right. And exactly. And and I feel like in that way, like I've seen, you know, like whatever, and reviewers and stuff will say like the word primal with the Stooges. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's, if you stop and think about it, I guess that is, you know, it's primal music, right? Yeah. But it yeah. doesn't mean it's dumb music either. No, not at all. And then the, you know, they had to ask the three Stooges permission to use the name and they, they agreed to it. They said, just don't call it the three Stooges. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Cause you know, the Stooges, they were psychedelic Stooges. The psychedelic Stooges first. Yeah. 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 I do remember that. Yeah. They shortened to Stooges. And in fact, Ronnie took care of Larry at the uh, Hollywood home. No one would visit him, and he'd go get him cigarettes and stuff. Larry Fine, yeah, yeah. That's that's. I, he's uh, yeah. It's 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 kind of an, it's interesting that there's a whole kind of unknown 
like late life Larry Fine that's you know be worthy of like I don't know a documentary or like a I guess it could be a biopic at this point, right? Uh, yeah. Interesting dude. Inter- I mean, they all were. They all, were, you know, they all were very he's sm- smart guys. Not a he's the one that's not a brother of the original, right? And you know, it would be interesting to I don't know. I guess some people from Hollywood listen to this show. Maybe someone will pick up on that and make a, make a movie about Larry Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, one just complete change of, of subject here. Uh, so when I came to the Minutemen, I came in through Double Nickels on the Dime, which the, of course you you named that because it was, you know, the, what is that Sammy Hagar song was? Yeah, I can't drive fifty five. Right? He said he couldn't drive fifty five. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and people just said, "Look, he's going to drive crazy and make safe music." Let us drive safe and make crazy music. And I always thought that was like such an amazing uh, ethos because it's it's true. And and that's a kind of a wild record. Like there's like some, you know, there's a lot of songs that end up being a double record. And there's a lot of stuff that you guys do, that you guys did on that. You know, you got the, um, uh, you know, songs like Vietnam and, uh, you know, This Ain't No Picnic. They're just, you know, sharp, concise, like, Minimum songs, but you also have, uh, you know, the song, you know, punk rock saved our life. Like that's, it's kind of almost sounds like dudes hanging out by the fire or something along those lines. Like they're all over the place. There's like kind of almost free jazz. Uh, yeah. The little song format we got from this band from England called wire. Yep. And, uh, we, we for, you know, we had learned, off records before the movement, you know, and so we didn't want to, our T-Rex and Blue Oyster called it Creedence influences be too obvious. So we thought that little song format would make it harder for people to know that we were all tainted and stained by the older music. <laughs> <laughs> like R&B I know, and acid rock. Now, but we were really worried about that because we're really, we love bands like Wire and the, and the, and the Hundred Flowers who just, Start making a band without ever practicing. Right. Yeah, so they came up with a sort of wild sound all on their own that, you know, is now emulated and whatnot. But really, it's just they didn't know they didn't know that wasn't how you were supposed to do it. <laughs> you know, they just came up with their own stuff. Yeah, but own is it's kind of weird, like, you know, like the set of words. I mean, Finnegan's Wake is a great book, but a little hard to understand. Yeah. yeah it's, it, it, it's definitely something that takes a little bit of effort. You know, so there are stuff that kind of we share that aren't exactly original, but like the, 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 the allegory I was giving you about the novel, where you cannot invent one word, but it can still be pretty original. Right. And that's – it's – yeah, it's not. That's what we're trying to do with the Minutemen by all these kind of motifs you're talking about, like uh, whatever, playing slow, playing fast, playing uh, you know Latin, playing uh, hard rock or jazz, or all these different ways. Of, it's all vocabulary to try to. I remember D. Boone saying, "Man, let's do whatever we can, but somehow we're still the Minutemen, whatever that meant." No, and, and it were I mean, again, coming at it from the place of a fan, when I got that record, because that was the first one I ever got from you guys, I actually came to it 
somewhat late. Like I already knew from uh, you know Black Flag and uh, you know just Germs, even like, um, like you know the record wasn't the record wasn't one hundred percent our idea. We we had an album done in November of nineteen eighty three, and then the next month the Hooskers came to town and recorded Zen Arcade, right? Zen Arcade. And we thought, wow, they made a double album. We should write a bunch of songs so we could have a double album, too. So in March, a couple months later, we recorded a bunch more songs, and that's how it came about. Kind of like a, so, a friendly arms race. <laughs> yeah, or just like, wow, you did that? We're going to try to do that, too. Yeah, or some kind of like a ch- game of chicken. So the uh, just... The- no, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Dean and shit, right there. Going to the cliff with the car, right? Uh, Rebel without a oh, cause and all that, yeah. Yeah, but both of us jump out. We didn't go over the cliff, at least. But one we, of the things when I ended up with double records, but there would have been no double nickels on the dime without a Husker do Zen Arcade. They they had a whole plot and everything. Okay, this kid at the at the, at the video arcade. Now our 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 things both bunches of songs are written at different times so we had to invent concepts so one of them was the Sammy Hagar thing like you talked about another one we got from this band Pink Floyd who had an album called Amagama where one album was live but the other one they each had 25% of the vinyl real estate mm, right right we did the same thing but we used uh, Joe Carducci said why don't you use your car sounds so we used sounds from our cars and then we each had a solo song so D. Boone played Spanish nylon string. Georgie beat on some oil cans and whistled. And I used a landlady's note about the guy who took the cover picture, Dirk Annenberg. His, his, his I forgot about that, yeah. He, his, his shower's leaking on his downstairs neighbor. So the <laughs> landlady, because D. Boone would sing my lyrics kind of spate. So I thought, okay. Yeah, I'll I'll I got that. something for you. <laughs> yeah, I'll use this. So that's how the con- unifying concepts, we had to come about it after the fact. So for me, coming at it as a fan, uh, and this is just the, the catch point for the, what I was talking about earlier, is just like the residents, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the music a lot, but I really was impressed by the fact that you jump all around to you know, these different styles, but it all sounded very much like the same band while also sounding kind of crazy. And I thought that was very inspiring to me. Well, you know what? That was the, we, we, the, we succeeded with you then, because that was the mission. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of times, a lot of the bands I was listening to, it's like, oh, they, you know, whatever, oh, you're doing that again, huh? Like, I, you know, God bless the Ramones. Well, like, I love them, but... <laughs> well, I, 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 no, 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 but there's an, also the other thing. Here's the reggae song. Here's the ska yep. song. You can get too too far down the line. Exactly. Yeah, it's <laughs> total form, right? It's total form. So that's that's a weird thing about music, or, or or artistic expression in any kind. You want signifiers. You want things that telegraph messages, but you don't want complete forms, right? Right. Because then it gets too lazy thinking. It's a it's a rare band that can pull that off, and that's and that almost... yeah. You don't wear the Carmen Miranda hat. It's hard not to look like Carmen Miranda. <laughs> so, when when you talk about like the Minutemen discography, you know those those early stuff. I feel like it all kind of it's it's so intrinsically tied into your story and how you and uh, D Boone kind of came to punk rock and like found found the movement, right? 
Uh, how were those early records made? Like, like were they were they fairly like quick affairs? Yeah, they're like gigs. I mean, for one thing, they cost a lot of money compared to what we had. Okay, it would be seventy five dollars for used tape to get fifteen minutes. Okay, and when going at midnight to six o'clock because that downtime was half price. <laughs> right. We record these things in order so we didn't have to spend money on sequences. <laughs> so you would just so play the record like, like how it was on the record. They're like gigs. They're gigs in front of microphones. Right. <laughs> never got involved with the engineering or the production. We let either Ethan James or Spot do that because we thought they had the knowledge. They're not asking to play the drums or the bass, so we're not going to ask to work their fucking knobs and buttons. Right. So that's, that's how they were done. They were done really kind of... We made... Uh, Buzzer how for fifty dollars. We made double nickels on the dime. I paid for that eleven hundred dollars. Ethan James mixed all forty five songs in one night. Oh my! Oh my! Jesus! So a, half, <laughs> a half inch. Uh, no, it was a quarter inch eight track Otari machine. So we only had eight tracks to mix. Oh man! Half those was drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. So, so things were done really kind of in those days. You had to. Like I said, it wasn't just a slogan. It was a way of life. <laughs> well, and, and I, you know, I know from... You know, when I said Jamie Cano, wasn't just to paint on a jacket. <laughs> right, <laughs> right it was no, we, we come from working class, we come from Mikano families. So we, we got used to this stuff. So we just thought, why do you have to live up to some rock star expectation? We'll just do what it takes to get it done. Yeah. Make sure the, the tent's big enough for the dream, and that's it. And... We got we got the idea a Ford called their vans as they call them Econo lines. Oh, I know very well. That's my van of choice. I've had the same Econo line. Uh, I've got it when it had 17,000 miles. It has 240,000 miles on it now. It's all well, well maintained. This guy, yeah, that's how they last. They stopped making them in 2014. I know, man. Yeah, the Econo line, though, the way, you know, they were called Falcons at first because they were built on those chassis. But uh, in the early 60s. But the idea of this is how we get to the gig. This is how we work to the to the town. We use a vehicle called the Econo Line. Like we're going to make it to your town because it, it doesn't always mean the cheapest, but it means the most bang for your buck. So right. you don't have to buy it twice, right? If you buy it right, you buy it once. That's Econo. Econo doesn't mean the, the lowest price because that means you might have to buy it again which ends up costing more, right? Yep. So Econo is the most bang for your buck, which if you grow up kind of, if, with not a lot of bones, you what do they call it? Stretch it? You learn how to stretch it? Mm -hmm. They call the shit you know, when you put the fucking uh, bread in the meatloaf, you stretch it, right? That's <laughs> right, you stretch it. Put it in the soup, yeah. <laughs> right, that's an Econo technique, right? It's not really play, paying the least, it's just getting the most you can get with what resources you have. You know, life deals your hand. So it's how you play that hand. That's the idea of Jamie Connell. Well, and it's it's interesting that you know when, especially you know, I come from like a working poor background, so it, it just was so, such a natural fit. It was like, oh yeah, of course. Like that's like what else would you do? That I never heard articulated aloud though before yeah, I started really, paying attention to you. Guys. It's not really an option, right? Yeah, exactly. You don't. Yeah, what I'm like, right? The trust fund uh, is not necessarily going to be available. <laughs> So we learned by doing so a lot of that we didn't pick. That's just the circumstance. But fuck. I mean it worked. Yeah, I mean away. You know why why what graduate to some fake kind of royalty? Fuck that. 
Well, and and I thought it was interesting too that you know you made some decisions early on. You know, D Boone's guitar sound is very like you know kind of treble heavy. You he you had the low end, he had the high end, kind of just helped separate separate it out. Like it gave it a very unique sound. That was his idea. Well, he got the idea kind of from the R and B guys, the way they play rhythm guitar and funk, and with soul music. They kind of clipped it. They kept it trebly so you could hear James yeah. James. You could hear the bass and the drums. And that was – D. Boone said the lyrics were just thinking out loud. He thought the real political thing of the Minutemen was making his guitar trebly so you could hear the drums and the bass better. So it would be more egalitarian, equal. Right, right. Because with arena rock, there was a huge hierarchy. And, of course, the guitar player had the power in his hands – and you know me and Georgie were into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you be? <laughs> but, you know, it worked out well because not just, you know, with the songs themselves and with the compositions, but how how it comes across. Like, first time you hear it, it kind of, like, makes you kind of cock your ear a little bit and be like, oh, wow, that's that's different. That's interesting. And it kind of gives you a different hook to it, you know? There was a band in England besides Wire. Wire helped us with the format. But when it came to that stuff, especially using that crazy guitar, was the pop group. Pop group, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this, uh, and playing funk and, uh, you know, uh, Bootsy Collins kind of stuff on the bass and uh, uh, drums like uh, Clyde Stubblefield, you know. You know, music's music. These people we met at the gigs, you know, they knew about all kinds. Raymond Pettibone played me uh, Love Supreme. I thought John Coltrane, I knew he was older. I didn't know he was dead. I thought he was an older punk rocker. <laughs> I, I did That's not awesome. know he was from the, the 60s. I, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Arena rock was so shallow of an experience when it comes to music. There were so many other bands and ways of doing music, I found out. And it was from these guys showing up on the weekends at these little clubs wearing funny clothes and having funny names. Yeah, They, were, mean, my teachers. they were my fucking teachers, especially guys like Raymond Pettibone yeah. or, 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 or Richard Meltzer with his Hepcats from Hell uh, radio show. Sometimes Don Bowles would be a guest on there. They'd play records, you know, that blow my fucking mind. It really was a cl- the classroom thing actually started with movement. I miss meeting all these people. You know, when I came from Virginia, all I knew, knew was Pedro guys, right. and then all of a sudden, right. I'm meeting guys from all of, you know SoCal's like 150 towns. Yeah, pe- people that don't <laughs> aren't from there. Maybe they don't, don't know, know anybody but... from anywhere, yeah. right? And they're all eating at different world. <laughs> well, yeah, Chinese uh, Chinese restaurant in, in Chinatown to see some crazy bands play it was just a it was it was totally like going to a, a weird kind of college or school it yeah. really is a lot of what i'm made up nowadays it's from those lessons those 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 classes i took <laughs> nighttime night, night, night classes night. <laughs> exactly <laughs> well and i think it's cool too that you do the the watt from pedro show to kind of give back well, a little bit <laughs> We found out about the movement. Yeah. Especially from the flag guys, black flag guys. It's not just making a band. You know, it's it's about making a label. It's about making a fanzine. Why shouldn't you have a radio? It's about expression. Exactly. You know, Greg Ginn had a ham radio thing going when he was a young guy. So he got used to talking to people out of town. And uh, I don't know, this idea... Uh, 
Keith Morris, a Circle Jerk singer, he had a Circle Jerk tour. He had a show on KBLT, which was a pirate radio station in Silver Lake, about 30 miles north of here, east part of Hollywood, kind of. And he asked me to guest for him. And I did this for two years on Friday nights for two hours. I'd never been on that side of the microphone before. But I liked it. But FCC came down and shut that station down after some uh, investigation. So I no longer had a show. But then I was on tour and conquered at some dude's house in Portland. And they were just starting a web hosting company. And they said, well, we'll put your radio show on the internet, and anybody with a computer can hear your show. Because the funny thing about the Watt for Pedro show in Silver Lake, you couldn't hear it in Pedro. It only went about five miles. With, <laughs> That's, too <laughs> That's ironic, yeah. You could hear it all over the fucking where You could hear it in Sarajevo if you had the right uh, connect with the internet and a computer. So I said I went for it. Now it's in May it'll be 19 years with Brother Matt. Uh, 627 shows. They're all archived, twfps.com. I just did one yesterday. Uh, I try to do one a week. But the whole idea is to show people, because I like to have guests on and talk about their journey through music, and I'm trying to show people there's buttloads of way to have a journey through music. In fact, there's not two ways that are the same. Totally, and that's, I mean, that's, not to put too fine a point on it, that's kind of what I do with this show as well. And I think a lot of times the telling of the story and how you get there can really help give perspective for folks and be interesting, especially for folks that also consider themselves creative, but it's also just interesting in general. And yeah. when you give voice to those that, you know, Terry Gross from Fresh Air maybe is, doesn't have on speed dial or something along those lines, that's a service. And that's part of punk rock, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. At least you know that thing we're talking about taking turns, right? Yep, yep. So, and that's it's it's interesting too because I've run into people that kind of feel like you know doing something other than just the music diminishes, and I think it's the exact opposite. I think being a part of community, you know, you're either you're either in it for the ego or you're in it for you know adding something to this world to make a better place it was when he came in yeah i mean my my buddy raymond pettibone he we, we, we collaborate on some music but a lot of his expression is with visual and it just is he's an amazing visual artist yeah you know and some of us do it with sound and some of us do it with you know there's a lot of ways to do this stuff you know and it's, it's it's strange when it gets all reduced to certain kind of channels and product and uh, packages, and uh, I, I think it's kind of getting into the same thing we we're talking about with the the herd mentality and it having yeah. different labels. You, what was your word? Uniforms. Mm -hmm. That's it's. Yeah. I mean, I don't say it lightly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just... No, no, Conan. That's a great way to put it. And real simple, people right away get the idea. Uniform. Yeah. It, it could mean close, but it also means like uni, one, mm -hmm. form, the way. About the way, I think it'd be better like what Scotty taught me, uh, this thing called the Tao. With oh, the way, yeah. you, can't, mm -hmm. you can't really talk about the way. To talk about the way kind of fouls it up. Right, that's, that screws up the, 
it's gruesome yeah, process. So it's, it's completely heads on tails from uniform. Mm-hmm. You know, the one way. No, no, there's the way. And that's kind of mysterious because we're all on a journey. But we're all waving to each other while we're on this journey, right? Because yeah, yeah. they're not really totally alone. It's not totally together either. It's just kind of trippy thing. It's true, and it's it's you know it, it's very invigorating to talk to someone with your with your experiences that has such a uh, you know almost Eastern mindset about it. <laughs> like it's certainly akin to mine. Uh, it's it's something that I think is important, and that you know tends to get lost among the discussion sometimes. Yeah, because you know some of it's the values. You know, there's this shrill voices that are always yelling at us, like, if you're not winning, if you're not telling people what to do, then somehow you're a loser. <laughs> right. So we're always having to battle these ridiculous you know, pseudo-values. But, you know, a farmer would tell you, Conan, if you want a good crop, maybe use a lot of manure. So I say, bring it, motherfuckers. <laughs> Oh man, that's a that's a that's a closing line if ever I heard one. Uh, <laughs> I will say there's one other thing. This it's and it's it's might seem odd, but there's a question I usually ask all the folks that I have on. Why do you do what you do, Mike? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, it's kind of like when people ask me what kind of bass player I am. I say I'm D Boone's bass player. I think the momentum of playing with him as a boy is just keep shoving me and doing what I'm doing. It's weird. Part of it's mystery, but part of it's building on the stuff. You know, like we were t talking about links in the chain, mm -hmm. but not a chain that binds you. It's just some trippy connects. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm like on a trajectory in a way. I got thrown into this momentum situation but i'm not unaware right. and so i'm looking for teachers i'm really convinced everybody's got something to teach me if i just keep my fucking mind open enough so that's why i'm doing what i'm doing trying to keep the fucking mind open well we appreciate it brother and we appreciate that you lead by example as well and uh, glad you're out there doing it, and it's been a real treat to have you on, man. Oh, you're most kind, Conan, truly. So you got a, you got a bunch of dates coming up, as per normal, as we talked about way earlier on. I got a tour coming March, April with MSV, MSSV, MainsteamStopValve.com, Mike Baguette in Knoxville, Tennessee, Steve Hodges, who played drums on my first opera, the trippy 25-year you know, come back around to play with him again. And, you know, and, and playing bass lines, somebody wrote for me for the, for the situation. Right. It should be interesting. You know, like, yeah, yeah. like somebody writing a play for you, right? Writing a role in a play for you. It's, 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 that's kind of new for me. And then in, in the uh, September, October, I'll have a, a Europe tour with the Sonia de Mainayo guys, the Sailor's Dream in Europe. So those are the first two... 
the first two big tours I got for this year. And uh, I'm also recording second band album and a missing man album. These are two projects I put together for the second and third opera. They, they succeeded on those missions, and now I'm going to make albums for those guys that stand on their own. They no nice. <laughs> That's my uh, acute plans. Also, I'm doing an opera with Petra Hayden where I don't – it's not my libretto. It's Charlie Plymel. It's called Planet Chernobyl, and it's called Pelican Man. Me and Pet's going to do a violin and mandolin and singing, and I'm just going to do bass. Wow. Okay. And finally, a weird – not weird, but a little different. It's kind of like a half dose where it's me playing bass and Karen Schomer doing poems. And that's called The Jaded Azurites. If you turn to MikeWatt.com, all these projects are up in the news section. And then, yeah, they go, just go to the Hoot page, check it out. Uh, yeah, I got to say it, man. The Hoot page is what, 25 years old? Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. Right? It'd be drinking age. <laughs> See, that's one of the only websites that's drinking age, right? Uh, I got to say, dude, you're, you're like one of the only people that, you know, pe- people often say that they get exhausted just hearing about what I, all I'm up to. But, uh, you know, you you definitely take the prize as far as that goes. My hat's off to you, brother. Exhauster, I'm the exhauster. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. In a good way. <laughs> you're very kind, Conan. Thanks for having me aboard. And, and I think you gave me a chance to talk about stuff that's really important to me. So thank you. Thank you. I'm really glad you took the chance to do it, man. Uh, thanks. Thanks so much for being on. Let's uh, Let's do it again sometime. Okay, brother. Oh, brother. Take care. There he goes. Wow. The man, the myth, the legend. Mr. Mike Watt. All right, let's hear a tune. Ben can be your life. Real names be proved. Me and Mike Watt, we played for years. Punk rock changed our lives. We learned punk rock in Hollywood. Drove up from Pedro. Drink and pogo. Mr. Narrator, this is Bob Dylan to me. My story could be his songs. Soldier child. Our band of scientists rock. But I was E. Bloom and Richard Hell, Joe Strummer, and John Doe. Me and Mike Watt playing the guitar.
wow. All right. Thought that was pretty good. <laughs> oh, boy. I hope you guys enjoyed that half as much as I did. Yeah, man. Is this thing on? Punk rock changed my life. Anyway, as we established, yeah. all things Mike Watt, go to the Who page, whopage.com, tour dates. Uh, records all that the name of the show is Kona Neutron's Protonic Reversal is this thing on it airs Thursdays 8pm Eastern 7pm Central 6pm Mountain 5pm Pacific RadioNope.com say yes and nope RadioNeutron.com for the archives Live listeners, music on with music offs up next. As we come to the close of our broadcast, day. I just want to thank Mike Watt for coming on the show. That was a uh, that was bucket list for the show. I feel pretty good about it. This is my farewell transmission. Check out the Watt from Pedro show. You can find that on the Hoot page. Signing off, Mister and Mrs. America. All the ships at sea. If you enjoy the show, anyone uh, within the sound of save it on Spotify, rate it in Stitcher and iTunes, whatever. It helps people find it. Spread the word. Like it on Facebook. All that helps. Never hurts. Watts of power. Thank you to all those that already do that. I want to never hurts. Here. Got some good stuff coming up. This microphone turns sound into electricity. And as always, can you hear me now? If you listen to the show, you know what's coming. Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. Take it easy. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the, it's the end of radio. The last announcer plays the last record. The last what? Leaves the transmitter. Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now? if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day, Thank mm-hmm. you.